The scripture this morning is from Psalm 13. Hear the word of the Lord. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And the enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God. Morning, church. We are back in the book of Psalms this summer. If you're new with us, uh, you don't know this, but last summer we went through, just kind of went straight through Psalms 1 through 12. We're picking up this morning in 13. We'll just see how far we get. Um, I don't know, maybe, Greg, you want to do it? <laughs> yeah. I got the notes. Just let me know. Just okay, good, so, good. Um, guys, uh, uh, let me tell you why we're doing the book of Psalms. We said last year, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. And it's, um, it's pretty obvious uh, when we look at our own hearts that all, all of us who are trying to follow the Lord sometimes feel that dissatisfaction of our prayer lives. We want to grow in our prayer, uh, prayer life. And, and the Psalms help us with that because they show us this full range of emotions of, of gratitude and thanksgiving and, and loss and loneliness and despair and hope. And it's all there. In, in, this, in this prayer book. So, so they're a model for us and what it looks like for us to be what the sub- subtitle of our series is, to be, to be honest to God. And that's, our, uh, uh, that's our, our hope, that if we want to have a more meaningful prayer life, then here it is, uh, th- this, this range of all the complicated emotions and situations of our life are, are kind of on display here. And so the Psalms give us words when we can't find the words. Um, the Psalms give us this language that helps us to understand our experience and then speak our experience back to God. Sometimes when we don't know what to pray, uh, when we're steeped in the Psalms, it just kind of comes out of us, right? Just it, it's there when we don't know what else to say. And so the Psalms help us in all of that. That's our hope with this series. And this morning we are dropped into the, um, the, the uncomfortable honesty of Psalm 13. But before we get there, let's pray together. Father, would you uh, help these words written 3,000 years ago to speak into our words today, that the experience that David was going through 3,000 years ago would speak into our experience today. And Father, that you would come and meet with us, that we would be, by your word, encouraged, we'd be admonished, we'd be exhorted, we'd be cheered on to keep in the fight. And we pray, Lord, that you would do that for each of us in the unique ways that each of us needs right now. Father, for all that to happen in such a unique and personal way, these cannot be my words, but your words and not my thoughts, but your thoughts. So we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So y'all just got thrown into a wrestling match with God. That's what Psalm 13 is, right? I mean, you're right in the middle of this, this struggle, and it gets to, you saw when Cynthia read, it gets to a beautiful resolution, but it starts in a tough, tough place. It's, I would say it is uncomfortably perfect. It's uncomfortable in its honesty, but it's perfect because it speaks into the situations that I would bet a majority of you are probably dealing with right now, whether you maybe would think about it that way or not. I'm going to assume that this room represents national averages for a moment, okay? And I'm going to assume there's maybe 200 of you here. I think there are a little bit more, but let's just call it 200. Um, that means that in this room this morning, about 10 of us are grieving the loss of a close loved one within the past year. I think that number is pretty low for our church, honestly. Uh, about 20 of us 
have suffered a major depressive episode in the last year. About 30 of us are dealing with some form of chronic pain ongoing. 150 of us, that's three out of four of us, are undergoing physical stress that is in some way affecting our physical uh, or emotional health. 95 of us, because of that, are having a rough time sleeping at night. I don't know if I just hit you or not. Maybe you just dodged all of those bullets. But my point is that there are some chronic things that we face, those types of things that linger and that discourage. And for those of us who are trying to engage God in those settings and trying to understand our relationship with him, we know that we have in those, in those settings, we have moments where God really shows up and it's beautiful, but we also have moments where we are experiencing his seeming absence or silence. We struggle to tangibly feel God in the middle of the things that we are going through, these places of discouragement and despair. And so we struggle with questions just like David gives us this morning. How long, Lord? And sometimes we feel like God is playing hard to get, and we struggle with that question, right? So what do you do when you're in the depths and God feels distant? I think that that's something that we can be encouraged by, by Psalm 13, because David uh, leads by the example of his own struggle, and he suggests three things here. Uh, that I think will benefit us this morning. So one of them is get honest. Second, stay engaged. And third, keep perspective. It's just that simple this morning. It's, it's just to be get honest, stay engaged, and keep perspective. So, and it breaks up real easy. Uh, those three points are really each a couplet of verses. Verses one and two, verses three and four, verses five and six. So let's look at verses one and two. Get, getting honest. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Do those words make you uncomfortable? I mean, the fact that those are in Scripture, if you were God's PR agent, are there some things that you would take out of the Scriptures to sanitize it a little bit? Maybe you would remove some of this? I think it's shocking that there is this picture of bleak despair and discouragement that is going on in the Bible right here um, we're probably more comfortable with those um, uplifting, kind of positive, encouraging K-love kind of verses, right? So I don't know that there's anything more positive and encouraging than, than this idea that, that uh, the struggles and doubts of the life of faith are preserved in Scripture as part of the normal. It's normal. They don't disqualify you from true faith. It's part of the deal. The Bible understands that uh, and, and it even highlights the struggles of the life of faith and the seeming silence of God. There it is. David asks God, how long? He says, will you forget me forever? He's afraid that the Lord has abandoned him forever. So whatever he's dealing with, the situation is very chronic, and that leads him to ask, how long, Lord? He asks it four times here. How long, how long, how long, how long, Lord? That's a, a question that is also asked throughout the Psalms, 18 other times in 10 different Psalms, and that exact question is asked, and, and variations on a theme show up in places like, why do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself? Why have you forgotten me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lots of other scenarios. If we believe that God is sovereign over all things, and we do, if we believe that nothing comes to us except from the Father's hand, and we do, then the best way that we can get honest about the challenges of our life is by taking them directly 
to him. Guys, God is not offended by your questions. There may be a time when he says, okay, that's enough. (laughs) Um, He did that with Job. Uh, If you're not familiar with the book of Job, it's the book right before the book of Psalms in the Bible. You can go back and look at that story. It's an an ongoing, it's it's 28 chapters or more of what happens in just six verses in in uh, in Psalm 13. But even in that moment, he says, Job, in your struggle, you spoke rightly of me. You didn't just speak about me. That's what your friends were doing. You spoke to me. You took it to the source. You took your burdens directly to me. You, you stayed in the ring for all 15 rounds. I had a friend uh, several years ago who was going through a, a really difficult time. Uh, he had been mistreated and misunderstood by a lot of people around him, and he, he needed a friend. So we decided uh, on Thursday afternoons we would get together, and we both liked to bike, so we would go biking around the neighborhoods and kind of take a leisurely pace of it, and we would uh, talk about what he was going through. And there was one afternoon in particular, I remember, we were, we we're coming up to a stop sign and turning right, and as we're rounding the, cur- the corner... And I'm in the front, he's behind me so that we discovered that I can hear him better as he's kind of processing and venting and such. And as we turned the corner, I had this, like this moment of deja vu hit me where I realized that the week prior, as we were turning the same corner, passing the same stop sign, he, w- he had said the same exact thing. And not only had he said it last week, but he'd said it the week before. The same, the, the, the same running loop in his mind. He was stuck in this painful narrative that had become a literal loop through the neighborhood, right? Over and over, Wednesday after Wednesday, processing the hurt and not being able to get, we got to a a stop sign a few uh, turns later and we stopped and talked for a bit and, and, and I asked him, I said, you know, I know you're really, you're really angry about all this and, and what's been done to you, but if God's in control like we believe he is, and if nothing comes from his hand, like we both believe is true, then have you talked to God yet about the fact that you're also angry with him? And he said, well, no, I, I, you know, I don't know that I'm comfortable doing that. I'm like, why not? I mean, God knows, right? You're not fooling anyone. So he clearly knows what you're going through. So why wouldn't you find a place alone where you can, you can talk and hash it out and get loud and you can yell and the neighbors won't call the cops and you do your business with God? Be honest with him about your anger. Uh, The next week, he was on vacation, so we didn't bike, but I got a text from him. It was just two things. The first one was uh, his GPS coordinates. It was a desolate beach on the shores, the western shores of Lake Michigan, right there. And then with it was a text that said, I did what you said, Uh, it got loud, and I definitely scared my dog. (laughs) But this is the place where God showed up, and all is well. Guys, we, we don't want our lives to be defined by being angry at God and shaking our fist at God. That's a bad place. That's not a destination, but sometimes it is a connecting flight on your way to something better. To be honest enough with him to be able to push through that to something better. When God seems distant to you, you start by being honest with him about it. Why wouldn't you be? The second thing, what do you do when God seems distant? You stay engaged. Verses three and four, look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I think when we wrestle with the seeming absence of God, sometimes we make the assumption that the reason that we're wrestling is because there's either something wrong with us or there's something wrong with God, right? 
There's something wrong with us. Maybe, maybe the Lord has given up on us. Maybe we're not asking in the right way. Maybe we're unworthy and we're not, uh, it's not worth the effort. Or maybe there's something wrong with God. Maybe he's just playing hard to get. Maybe he's being difficult. Maybe he's being aloof. Maybe he's not there at all and I'm just making this whole thing up. But what if there's a third option? What if there's not anything wrong with you or God in the midst of that broken connection? But what if we admit, a third option that admits that faith is hard and yet God is still active and he is asking you to trust and wait on him. To wait. I used to direct a a summer camp in Vermont. It was run by the the Fish and Wildlife Department. It was like this outdoor skills kind of camp. And so on Tuesday evenings, we would do basic first aid training with these middle school boys. And um, we would teach for maybe 45 minutes some basic skills, and then we would release them. Around camp, we had these stations set up where we were faking different injuries, some significant outdoor injuries. Our, our counselors got to practice their acting skills. And, um, and they had to, the kids had to move from station to station and then treat the injuries. But in each of the uh, groups, the kids had designated one person who would have to make the 911 call. The way you made the 911 call is you had to run to a place at camp where one of the counselors was, and the counselor would literally do this and pretend that he was picking up the phone. I know that this, this is dating me as a child of the 80s and 90s because our phones don't look like this anymore, right? So now you got to do this, right? But we would do this and we would say, 911, what's your emergency? And the way that we, the, we would do that to give them the experience of being able to relate information about an injury and answer questions, and then we would maybe give them some advice over the phone about how they might treat the injury to take back to their group. But one of the main things that we stressed was um, in, that, in that interchange, you don't hang up until the operator does. Because the operator knows much more the information that they need than you do. And so you don't assume that you've said everything that needs to be said and then hang up. There's more to be said, and they'll let you know when they have what they need. And so we would, in this, in, uh, as we were doing the simulation, we would literally, we would say, we have all the information that we need, thank you, and then we would go, click, like that. And then the kid knew that they could run back to their group and they could relay the information. When you're dealing with an emergency in your life, and you're trying to connect with God. Guys, even if there is a pause on the other end of the line, even if that pause is awkward and uncomfortable and long, and even if there's times where you wonder, is there still somebody on the other end of the line or not? You don't hang up the phone. You stay on the line. That's what David is doing here. In fact, the simple fact that Psalm 13 exists is proof that David didn't give up, that David stayed on the line, that he didn't hang up, right? He continued to wrestle with God in prayer and stay on the line. And we have that, that prayer, we have it preserved to show that wrestling match. He didn't give up or peace out or wallow in his cynicism. He stayed connected, he stayed engaged. The existence of this psalm is evidence that David was still holding on and not just the existence of the psalm, but then when you get to verses three and four, you see that he's still engaging the relationship. We get to see what he prayed. He continues to ask God to show up. He says, look on me, answer me, brighten my eyes with hope, give light to my eyes. He's still seeking the relationship. So when we wonder where God is, we cannot expect to hear him if we hang up. Which is sometimes when we're so discouraged, that's exactly where we want to go. So you stay on the line. Let me suggest a few ways what that might look like. Engage his word. Stay in prayer. 
stay connected to his people. Those are going to be, when you're going through the hardest of it, those are going to be things that will not come naturally to you, especially if you're dealing with depression or some illness or some chronic thing that's not just attacking you physically, but it's actually melting your reserve, right? It's, 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 it's affecting you um, at, at the level of your willpower. So it becomes hard sometimes to engage those things. They're going to be hard to summon up. Maybe the only way that you really feel like God is getting through is through Christian music, and so stay on that line. Maybe you're having a rough time praying, just him and you, but when somebody else comes alongside you and prays for you, you feel his presence, well, then stay on that line. Don't hang up. If I hang up, I should absolutely expect God to feel distant. If I'm distant from my wife, and the way that I deal with that is by, oh, by the way, I haven't been home in three weeks and I don't return any of her texts and I try and avoid all the places where she likes to hang out, I should expect that the problem's not going to get better. (laughs) It's going to get worse. The hope of enjoying her presence means staying engaged. It means not hanging up, making space for the conversation to continue. The reason I mention things like prayer and the word and, and being with God's people is because those are the places where God tends to love to show up. I want to keep hanging out in that space, waiting for him to speak into it. So when God feels distant, uh, we get honest, we stay engaged. Lastly, we keep perspective. Verses five and six. But I trust, that word but is so huge here, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me, folks, you could get whiplash in the Psalms. Right? I mean, where did that come from? Right? This has moved so quickly from a psalm of complaint to a psalm of thanksgiving and praise. And the question is, what just happened? Key concept here. What just happened wasn't that David's circumstances changed. You assume he wrote this whole thing in one sitting. He's in the same place in verses five and six physically, that he was in verses one through four. Sorrow, enemies, the sense of God's absence, it's it's all there. He didn't change his attitude because his circumstances changed because they haven't changed yet. But something did change. Something internally has changed in him. As he's wrestled with God in prayer, he's regrounded in the reality of God's love for him. When God's love shows up, it tends to change things. It tends to turn things. That word love, we talk about it a lot here in the Hebrew, it's the word hesed. And it's not just love, and it's not just unfailing love, it's covenant love. It's enduring allegiance, it's unfaltering loyalty. Um, One of my favorite authors is a guy named Dale Ralph Davis, and he describes it this way. He says, hesed, That unfailing love is not merely love, but loyal love. Not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. Not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. It is not simply love, but love that has stickum on it. Love that refuses to ever let go. Unfailing love. And then David ends the very last bit. He says, he has been good to me. A stronger translation might be, he has dealt bountifully with me. Not just not just love, not just goodness, but fullness of love and fullness of goodness. So David is still in the same chronic mess at the end that he was at the beginning, but he's reminding himself of the realities of the Lord's activity in his life. 
And he doesn't see it as clearly in the present. He's, he's got a lot of how long questions that he's asking. So he looks back at the past to see where the Lord has shown up for him. And those things remind him that there's this unfailing love that never lets go. He's looking back at these mile markers along the way, and the Bible uses the word, uh, in, in Exodus and in, in the Torah, it uses the word Ebenezer to describe these, these, mile mar- these stone uh, monuments that uh, the Israelites would build to say, the Lord has helped me this far. This far has the Lord helped me. And they called it a, an Ebenezer stone. It marks a key moment of God's faithfulness. So David's looking back at some of those. He's saying, when I can't see him here, I'm going to go back and I'm going to check some of my markers along the way. The image that comes to mind for me when I think about those is um, when you go hiking and you're above the tree line where it's just pretty much just rock, um, it'd be real easy to lose your way and to lose the trail, uh, especially if it's foggy or if there's snow on the ground. It would be easy for you to miss the, the blazes and things like that. And so sometimes uh, the, uh, a state park or the, the, the trail service will, will put together some what they call rock cairns. They, they look like this. And just put some piles of rock up. And the idea is that you can put, they're within sight of one another. They're evenly, they're, they're spaced so that from one you can see the next one. And so when you can't see ahead, it's a foggy day, you can't see the next one, you go back to the previous one. You're able to look along the way and you're able to hopefully see where you're going, but you can also see where you've been. And when you can't see where you're going, you go back to where you've been and you stand there until the next Karen presents itself to you. When I think of the, the Bible's description of an Ebenezer, that's what comes to mind, I think, is a, it's saying the Lord's gotten me this far and I can't quite see what's next. I don't see him present in this moment, but when I can't see the trail, I'm going to go back and I'm going to remind myself where I've been, where he's led me, where he's shown up. When I can't see where he's showing up now, I'm going to remind myself of where he showed up then. I'm Go back to my last Ebenezer. And that will keep me oriented until I, until I see a new one. I will admit to you guys that's a daily struggle. If you're in the midst of some of the things that we're, we've talked about here, those chronic places, right? You can spend the whole day, in, you start in verse 1 in the morning and you struggle your way to verse 6. And yet the next morning you find yourself right back at verse 1 again and having to struggle through it all over again to remind yourself of the Lord's faithfulness, to remind yourself that, that, that uh, the, the truths of his unfailing love and his fullness of kindness, right? Our confidence, in other words, it just ebbs and flows all the time because we ebb and flow all the time, but God's grip doesn't. And if you can't find another cairn to look back on, if, it's, if you're just in a really dark place and it's hard, you're looking back, you can't even remember the last time that you saw God. Let me recommend, you gotta look a few back maybe. Maybe not that one or that one or that one. Maybe look at that one in the, in the, in the very back. That's not actually a cairn, that's a peak. That's a mountain right there. And if you have to go back that far to remind yourself what the Lord has done for you, then why don't you go back to the beginning? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, graciously give us all things. Guys, Jesus experienced the abandonment of God. Jesus experienced the silence of God for you. He knows what it feels like on a far deeper level than you will ever understand because here's one who's in perfect communion with the Father and that whole current just gets cut off at the source. And he experienced the full silence of God, not just the apparent, but God turning his face away. He knows what that feels like so that you won't have to. 
He endured separation from God on a cross because of his unfailing stickum love for you. Because of his joy in accomplishing your salvation. Because, of his, because he has been so good to you. Even when you don't feel it. That is the anchor reality. That's not just a pile of rocks, that's a mountain. He didn't spare his own son. How will he not also freely give you all things, everything you need? The Lord's brought you that far. We want to end with this uh, reminder. I said at the beginning, uh, the Psalms are not just, uh, the, they are the prayer book of the Bible, but they're not just the prayer book of the Bible. They're actually the song book. They're the hymnal of the Bible. We've lost the sheet music, but we still have the lyrics, right? These were songs that were sung. Think about that. God didn't just want to preserve the struggle of faith. He wanted you to sing about it. He wanted us to publicly join our voices and sing about this struggle. And so our music team is going to walk us through kind of the pathway of Psalm 13 for a moment. To struggle through the fog, to get to the other side of God's unfailing love. And so we're going to let you just listen in for the first part of that. We'll join in at the end of it. But first, let's pray together. Father, we will trust your unfailing love. We will rest knowing that you're enough. We will give praise for all of our days, for you have been good to us. Father, you know in our lowest moments, it is hard for us to see our way through to those truths. Lord, we we pray that you would be with us in the fight, that you would open our eyes, that you would brighten our eyes to see the hope that you lay before us day after day. And Lord, would you speak into, as we make space for you, will you, maybe not immediately, but in time, will you fill it with your presence, Lord? Will you remind us of your goodness? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.